0: think Jim, but not as we know it how dare you how It is 7 minutes to 5pm On Thursday the 23rd of February 2023 And you are listening To the Bashcast Coming up In this afternoon's Bashcast Tom breaks his knee his hand before the annual golf shield then loses his headphones but did he win horse racing comparing the roi of horses between the exchange and horses by bb algo in 2023 soft online bookmakers seven suggestions for slowing down restrictions the player xg model we're nearing the final corner of this model now with lineups and scorecast models added to the tool a golf update downswings and sanitary products william hill suffer a massive outage during the super bowl and american customers cannot get paid and the wsop schedule is out what are we playing and are we playing it this year all of that and more coming up in the afternoon bashcast Afternoon, morning, afternoon, evening, sorry for the irregular bash casts. I've been busy. I have been going to coffee shops and writing for some reason, because I enjoy it. Although, I've broken my hand, no I haven't broken my hand, I've hurt my hand. I think I've broken my hand, so the writing, after a period of time, is quite painful. Not like, so... I, I will go to a coffee shop in the morning. By lunch, I think I have to stop because my hands hurting, but I pretty much filled page after page after page on my notebook. I'm enjoying the old coffee shop and writing just now, sort of, especially on a fast day, except I just, I'm, I am a bit caffeinated, overloaded. So I haven't written for a while, and I find that being in the house is too distracting because if you try and write in the house, um, you, I end up putting the virtual reality headset on, playing some golf on it, or just tidying up, getting the hoover out. Do you know what I mean? You you end up just, for some reason, well, I end up just trying, once I have like a few seconds where I can't think what I've got to write, I then get up and go and do something. And there's too much distractions, especially with computers and iPads and everything like that. So leave it all behind. Just take a pen and paper to the coffee shop in the morning and then just drink lots of um, Americanos, extra black, extra no sugar all the way up until lunchtime when my hand starts hurting. And then especially when I wake up in the morning, it really hurts then because self-inflicted, no sympathy, but I'm falling apart. Everything in my body hurts just now. Um, I was playing a cricket game. There's this cricket game on the virtual reality on the Oculus that is brilliant fun. And you're in the NCG, the huge cricket stadium. And you've got this unorthodox right arm bowler who, bowled it short and it was an absolute peach just to launch it like that this is leaving the stadium this one you get it on the half volley and it, on the bottom of the bat it's just gone and the game is great it's really realistic like if you catch an edge you catch an edge um if you if, if, if you miss the ball you, you're going to be stumped you have to dive backwards it's really good fun this game so anyway i, I took three steps up the crease because he bowled it short And I went to launch it out of the stadium and I swung the bat, which is obviously the controller in the real world, as hard as I can to launch it. And I smashed my hand against the fireplace in the living room. Really, like full speed. Imagine like you're just throwing a bat, swinging a bat as hard and fast as you can, but there's a brick wall in front of you and you don't know because you've got the virtual reality headset on. And, yeah, genuinely think I broke my hand. or had a little hairline fracture on the right-hand side of my hand, which is awesome because I had the Oak Shield, my annual golf event coming up. And um, not only that, I've, got, I've been limping for the better part of nine months, um, and I don't know why. And um, I went to see the doctor, and the doctor said go see a physio, and the physio looked at my leg and went, go see a doctor, which is brilliant, thanks NHS in this country. And um, I can't get through more than a minute of a football match without my calf going. And then you look at the leg the day after, and it's my knee that hurts, but the calf always goes. And I've got bruising all the way down from the knee to the bottom. So it just doesn't feel right. So I've been limping loads. And um, I finally got a scan. And I have a hairline fracture on my knee from nine months ago. I have no idea when I did that. Presumably that happened during a football match and a collision, and obviously it wasn't painful enough to think that there was a problem at the time. But what's happened is it's not healing properly, but it has been nine months, and there's a big lump on my knee now, and that's why I'm limping. So I'm going in to this golf shield, having won two of the last three, um, and... I've got a broken hand and a broken knee. Now, I'm not saying I played the worst golf of my entire life. But I am saying I played the worst golf of my entire life. I think in the last Selly Oak Shield, which is 36 holes, in the first 18 holes, I scored 42 points. In this Selly Oak Shield, I scored 18 points across 36 holes. And I got five of those points in the last hole because I got a net albatross when I birded the hole you stop caring you drive it down the fairway you get your eight iron out you chip it to the front of the green and then because my chipping was diabolical all week I mean everything was diabolical driving was diabolical irons were diabolical chipping was diabolical chipping was really diabolical I mean I was picking up if I went in a bunker I was picking up and leaving because I wasn't getting out of the bunker so I took a hybrid out and just like like a snooker shot dinked it onto the green for a minute I hit it it was never going anywhere else but in and so, because that happens on the 36th hole, golf is a great game. It's a wonderful game. Um, uh, I wasn't, no, it wasn't, not that it matters, it wasn't 18. It was 18 on points in the last 18 holes, but five of those came in the last hole. So, like, you know, stupid game. Loved it. Got back into the clubhouse twice on two days. Left the bar with £200 bills. £100 pound on the second day, £200 pound on the first day. We twice left the bar forgetting to pay. Now, you do that once, it's maybe forgetfulness. You do it twice, you're trying to rip them off. And we weren't trying to rip them off. We all just presumed somebody else had paid. Um, and the only annoying thing that comes out of that, well, one the annoying things is that my body's broken, so I couldn't turn, and my hand hurts, and my knee hurts, so I just wasn't, I just wasn't competitive. The Shields ended up going back to Sydney, Australia, to Rich and Bondi Beach. Um, but what the, one really... One thing that has happened is more irritating than it should be, and it continues to irritate me. And that's that I shared a room with James, and James is what is known as a mouth breather at night time. He doesn't breathe through his nose, he breathes through his nose, mouth, and he's quite noisy. Um, You could do with taping his mouth in the evening and breathing through his nose because it's a lot better for you. So because I'm sharing a room with him, I have these over-ear headphones. AirPods aren't going to cut this for sleeping. I've got over-ear headphones so that I can sleep and not hear him. And I slept with them, and then they end up in the bed. And so when I checked out of the room, they were in the bed. They're quite nice Sennheiser headphones. They're weird. I of bought them a decade ago, and then I, when I got my AirPods, I didn't use them for three or four years and i found them in a cupboard and then i was like oh yeah this is actually better than airpods for listening to music i like the over ear sensation so i've left the i've left the headphones at the golf club where the hotel was and i've driven home and i live just far away enough for it to be an arse to go down there like 80 minutes, an hour and 20. So if I was to drive, it's a two-hour 40-minute round journey, which I feel like it's just not like it's not worth my time to go and do that. You know, if it was an hour down the road, I'd have gone. Uh, sorry, if, if it was half an hour, an hour round journey, I'd have gone. If it was an hour and a half round journey, I probably would have gone. But I'm not going to do two and a half hours to go and get my headphones. So I came up with a plan. I, I got I paid DHL 15 quid, and they send me a label. And I, gave, I sent the label to the hotel. I said, stick this on the, on the headphones. Put it in a package for me, please. And then DHL will come pick it up and deliver it to me. So I paid the money. I got the label. I sent it to the hotel. And you just know it's not going to be that easy, don't you? Well, guess what? It wasn't. Because the next day, no headphones. OK, maybe they're a day late. The next day, no headphones. So I email the hotel. No one's been to pick them up. Try getting through to DHL these days because they've automated everything. But finally, I've got my tracking number in this thing and they say, oh yeah, we're picking your headphones up tomorrow. I was like, you are? Okay, well, you're three days late, but fine. Well, they didn't. So I phoned them up. We're picking them up tomorrow. Every day you phone them up, they say they're picking them up tomorrow. And I feel like I just should write this off now because I had a mate in university and he got a car parking ticket and he didn't think it was fair. And he fought it for three years. Now, regardless of whether... You think that there has been an injustice or not? I think the fine was thirty quid, and for thirty quid it goes away. It mentally goes away. It just disappears. It goes, right? It goes away. Just pay it, and it goes away. I know you feel hard done by, but I'd rather if I, if I was hard done by, pay the thirty quid and for it to disappear than to fight it for thirty years because that's taking up mental space that I could be spending on other things. It could, you know what I mean? I've got life is way too short for those kind of things. Well, th- this is that instant because now. I feel like I can't just leave it because I paid DHL 15 quid and they haven't done anything. But I can't get through to them. They haven't done what I paid them to do. And the, the amount of time I've now spent on this, I could have driven down there and got them and come back. And I'm really irritated by the whole thing. And there's no solution. We're just going to be in this limbo for the rest of our lives. And when I die, it's going to say Tom Brownlee, March 31st, 1978 to... March 31st, why am I going to die on my birthday? Yes, yeah, th- 2078. Here lies a man whose headphones are still at the bloody golf course. <laughs> So we've had some fun recently. Um, We've been sending out cease and desist letters at Bucky Bashing. So we've been betting on horses for years. Uh, We bet on horses primarily with an each-way edge at scale, and um, we're quite good at it. I think long-term on singles, 5%, 20% on multiples. So we got relatively popular and we have a size of community at bookie Bush, and the important thing that we do is we're sustainable i know that sounds like a management consultant phrase to a lot of people but um it has validity here sustainable because you get too big you have too many people betting on the horses the edge goes away right so we have a number of different plans in place to control the amount of people that are able to see and use the horse racing tracker Last year, it won gold in the betting awards, became a little bit more popular. And as it did, we became aware that some people were reselling the data from the horse racing tracker on at an industrial scale, not just taking a few of the horses and sending them forwarding them on as tips. You know? I always find it amazing how people on Twitter can like tip two or three horses a day, like even 600 horses over a year is. is a very small sample size, regardless. They weren't doing that. Um, They weren't even just screenshotting the tracker and reposting it, as some people have done before. They weren't even taking the data from the tracker and handing them over to people to bet on themselves. What they were doing is they were taking the data from the tracker, the pro tracker that we have, that we built, that we share with people for a subscription, and... They were running a bot that read it every period of time. And the bot would then send the data over to a central area. And you could then go to a Telegram group or a WhatsApp group. And you could buy an automated bot that would place these bets for you, all of these bets, and you don't even have to do anything. Um, and I think there's various ways that they sell them. Some people sold for a percentage of profit. Other people sold it for a monthly fee. But um, this means that you could go to work and the bot is placing every Bet365, maybe Skybet, maybe other bookies. They're placing these bets um, whilst you're at work. You don't have to do anything. And so from the one account is reading the horse racing tracker and then not just selling it on to a number of people, but to a number of people with a number of accounts. And so a small, very small number of people ruin it for everybody. Uh, The feedback we've had over the last years, a lot of people don't bother betting, bookie, bashing horses at Bet365 anymore, whilst the profitable. Restrictions just come too quickly. Well, that never used to be an issue. That's an issue because these bots... Are collecting the horses and then set you know, automatically placing them on people's accounts. It's ridiculous. And the people that advertise this have no idea about sustainable value or anything like that. I mean, if they were thinking about it, they even have to they're killing their own edge. So if they were trying to profit out of something like this, it's it they're killing the golden goose that they're earning a pretty penny from. Um and I've even seen some screenshots of some of these whatsapp groups where some people go on a small losing run you know 100 horses and i think if you're following people on twitter if you bet on 100 horses and you're down as a recreational punter you probably think something's wrong whereas we all know 100 horses is a sort of very normal sample size 500 horses being down is a very normal sample size so we did a couple of things i'm not i can't really talk about the safety technology that we put in place behind the scenes. But just trust me when uh, I say that um, unless you're using your own human eyes to read Bookie Bash, we know that we're going to block you uh, with very, very few um, um, exceptions. People that genuinely want to use an API feed for automatic scraping of the data we've come to an agreement with. There is an API feed that is being used at bookie bashing for horses. You can have one, you need to sign a contract that you're not going to share the information with anybody else, and it's 2,000 pounds a month. So um, those people that we caught doing this, we put that on offer to them. None of them took us up on it, but other people have. What we did do is we sent out cease and desist letters. It was amazing kind of the reactions that we got from some people with the cease and desists. One person said, I had no idea I was doing anything wrong because everyone else is doing this. It's like, seriously? Come on. Anyway, the the good news from the cease and desists is that we didn't have to take it any further than that because everyone did cease and desist. And what this means, we hope, is that um, betting at Bet365 betting at Sky Bet, betting at places with bookie-bashing horses. There are going to be significantly fewer people betting on the same horses, and therefore we hope that it's a little bit easier to bet on them and not be um, um, restricted in the long run. So we're going to add some new horses to the tracker. We already have added... Well, when, when I say we, we have a... Um, company that we outsource horse racing odds to, because it's very complicated to read every single race, every single horse in every single race, every few seconds, and then update the odds. It's something that we need a sort of dedicated API feed for. So we use a company called OddsHawk, which I did initially invest in, just heads up there. So I am an initial investor in the startup company. Um but of course I've got unless you've tried turning it off and on again, I've got absolutely no technological input or prowess that I can bring to the table here. Um and we asked for the following bookmakers to be added. So they're in kind of groups. So it's six groups. So the first is thirty two Red Groves, Kasumo and Leo Vegas. And that's been done, right? So that's complete and they've been added. Um because, you know, as Accounts get restricted. You want to look a little bit further afield, and I understand that. So we got those in. Um, and then the next is B-Win Sporting Bet, which I believe is being worked on right now. After that, it's um, Star Sports. Sorry, Ben. Thanks for the hamper. Then it's uh, the Fitzbear Fafabet, Bet. The Pools. Isn't Fafabet Bet the worst name for a bookmaker? Uh, and then Karamba, and then Barwon Racing. So sort of six sets there. I don't have any visibility over um, when any of this will be done. Like for... Just for context, um, we sat down on the 23rd of January to request these new sets of bookmakers, and the February the 12th was the first set: 32 Red Grosner, Kasumo, Leo Vegas. So maybe three weeks, just under three weeks for the first set. So if that's indicative of every set, which it may not be, then that maybe is an idea. Of timescale and yeah, uh, less people betting on them hopefully means that we can have a little bit more sustainability on them in terms of the results. Um, we int- we noticed that at the end of last year we had a little bit of a bug in the results. It didn't affect any ROI reporting. What it did do is that we didn't know which horse was a BB algo horse and which horse was a default horse. What's the difference? right so we like bb algo horses because these are the horses that we come up with the probability of the place ourselves in house it could be four o'clock in the morning there's an absolutely zero information in the markets everything's at sp on the exchanges well we've still got a probability for every horse which means that if you take the bb algo and you bet on it the bookmakers the only thing we can go off is to restrict you is the fact that you're profitable right because they're not benchmarking it themselves from the exchanges or anything like that the default uses information from the markets from the exchange look when there is a liquid exchange you would be super silly not to use the information there and you should be using it probably over our information our estimates our models the bb algo because there's a lot of things that the bb algo doesn't take into account such as race composition and um, going up in class and down in class and color of the jockey's hair and whatever patterns that you might want to notice um although we have discussed do we want to bring things stats like that into the horse racing tracker for people not something i'd use myself but then i do use stats in golf that's why we've got the metrics graphs so should we bring in up in class down in class trainer jockey combination things like that i don't know let us know if you think that that would be a good idea if you do use the horse racing tracker kind of a, sort of builds it up to a next level of people sort of super users that want to bring in their horse racing knowledge but i do know some people sit down with time form and pro form and put it next to the bookie bashing horse racing jacket to sort of filter out their horses to maximize their ev so we couldn't tell at the end of last year like the last six seven months which horses were bb algo and which weren't uh just it was a bug from a download that we do behind the scenes just that one little field. Did, as I say, didn't affect the ROI, didn't affect the EV on the trackers, didn't affect anything. It just meant that we didn't know which horses we recorded would BB Algo or not. So we fixed that. And from the first of January, we're actually now doing a proper larger data exercise to collect as much information on the BB Algo as possible to see to see how profitable it is over twenty twenty three. So it's the twenty first of February right now. Um as I do this podcast. It'll probably be out on the twenty second or the twenty-third. Um, and we've logged 6062 horses so if you were l- unit win staking on those 6062 horses um the ROI long term incidentally over 100,000 horses is, uh, is it 5.2% let's just call it 5.2% whilst I bring up the results here so the default metric, and bear in mind the default metric generally brings in all the information from the exchange when the exchange is liquid. Um, I said 5.2, it's actually a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit higher, 5.9, so there you go. Um, so the default metric since the 1st of January, 6,062 plus EV horses, these are horses downloaded once a day at 12 p.m. we've moved to, um, has an ROI of 5.62%, Okay. Um, If you just looked at BB-Algo horses, so this is that you go into your settings and you don't want any information from the exchange, you only want to use horses calculated via the BB-Algo route for the place probability, it's 6.00%. So half a percent higher ROI for BB-Algo. That doesn't surprise me. What we've seen long term is the BB-Algo has a slightly higher ROI than the, um, than the default, which is sort of good news. It's like win-win because it's like you can have a little bit extra profit whilst also sort of straying away from the exchanges to mask the source of the information from the bookmakers. Um, uh, yeah, and hopefully profit a little bit longer term without restrictions. Ladbrokes have performed pretty poorly. I mean, they are the... Lowest sample size, Coral Ladbrooks, with only 480. So we've got six different bookmakers in those 6,000, right? So that's an average of a 1,000 per bookmaker, but it's really weighted towards Bet365 and Skybet, who, between the two of them, take up about 65% of all of the plus EV horses. Ladbrokes, though, so is only 480, so um, they have a tiny share. Um, but of those 480, you'd have been down 6% on the defaults down 8.3 percent on the bb algos and the flippity flip-flop william hill plus 10 percent roi on bb algo plus eight percent so william hill is the strongest um, performing bookmaker Ladbrooks is the only bookmaker that is recording a negative return just now and um the bb algo is more profitable at bet365 william hill and paddy power um and it's less profitable at bedfred Ladbrooks and Skybet. So there you go. Three, it's more profitable. Three is less profitable. Look, we're talking about sample sizes less than a thousand. So we do need a little bit more data this year. But yeah, overall 6,062 horses, 6.00% ROI for B-, B Algo, 5.62% ROI for default. I wonder what it will look like at the end of the year. And yeah, uh, if th- those are, of course, doing singles, do the multiples and. You're looking hopefully at 15, 20, even 25% ROI and more if you can apply some filtering and things like that. Ah! One common bit of feedback I get is that people are getting more and more restricted from online soft bookmakers, more so than ever before. And I have a lot of sympathy. I have no reason to disbelieve this, although it's been a number of years since I've had access to any online soft bookmaker accounts. What do we mean by online soft bookmaker? Well, online, a service available using the internet. Soft meaning recreational. They claim that betting is only meant to be fun. Winners are not welcome. So, of course, the waters become muddied, as the argument is that an aspirational activity, I mean, everyone should want to win their side of the bet. It is aspirational to want to win in gambling. So an aspirational activity should be non-aspirational for bookmakers' customers, which, of course, is a logical fallacy and part of the reason why bookmakers are unable to have an open and honest discussion on this subject. And bookmaker which is defined and i looked this up in the oxford english dictionary as a person who takes bets calculates odds and pays out winners that's the oxford english dictionary i think it would be quite reasonable for us to write to the oxford english dictionary in 2023 and challenge this definition but why are online soft bookmakers so easy to profit from i mean if you were to build Pyramid of return on investment. The easiest, the top, the thick layer is the online soft bookmaker. In the middle, you would have shops, and then at the bottom, the hardest to get a ROI on would be exchanges. And why is this? Well, online soft bookmakers really present the greatest opportunity for five reasons: volume, concessions, selective top price, liquidity, and bias. Right? So volumes outrageous at online soft bookmakers. I mean, today in two thousand and twenty-three, they're on arguably more markets on more events than ever before. were spoilt for choice. Not long ago, half-time would have been an exotic market. And now we're looking at headed shots and targets, passes, tackles, tries per half, 180s per session, score casts, any time casts, win casts, time casts, the list goes on. So with all this variety brings the opportunity for targeting whatever market we desire. We may not be able to beat the match odds of the Champions League because that's shaped to within an inch of its life, but we don't have to because we've got all of these secondary and tertiary markets that we like and we can focus on them instead. Volume won't be an issue, unlike perhaps at the exchange. And also, logistically, we don't have to leave the office. In fact, we don't even need to walk up to the office because the world of online soft bookmakers is purposefully designed for interaction on a smartphone. Denise Coates realised this 20 years ago from a porter cabin in Basford, And that's the reason why the world's richest businesswoman lives there and not in Manhattan, New York. Volume is king in the world of advantage play. And any good bet can lose and any bad bet can win. And the only thing that separates the wheat from the chaff is volume, which means that because we can get the most amount of volume on online softbook makers, they are the most attractive. The second reason why they're the most attractive is concessions. Um... Re- bookmakers want recreational punters through the door not me or you if you're listening to this podcast they want losing punters through the door and to do this they dangle the carrot of concessions this is their usp that separates them from their competitors the other online soft bookmakers a sign up bonus a free bet a refund offer and appetizingly for us these concessions turn negative equity bets into positive equity bets less appetizing for us bookmakers started calling such behaviour abuse. And since I've got the Oxford English Dictionary open, the definition of which is to treat with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly, as if engaging in the concessions that bookmakers offer us is somehow comparable to jihadi john. So the next reason online soft bookmakers have the highest ROI is the ability to shop around for top price. If we fancy a particular bet, came to have a shot on target, for example, then it would be prudent for us to go and find who has got the top bet. If you saw a television for sale at Amazon, sorry, a top price. If you saw a television on sale at Amazon for £600 and the same TV on TVs.com for £500, then you would be a fool not-take the cheaper TV. Some bookmakers claim a loyalty argument here, as if such behaviour is against some unwritten moral code between bookmaker and customer, they're living in cloud cuckoo land. That money is my children's inheritance, not Jeff Banks' children's inheritance. Put simply, who do I have more moral responsibility towards, loyalty to a corporate bookmaker and their faceless shareholders, or to my own bank account? So it could be argued that it would be irresponsible for us not to shop around for top price. And if we are unrestricted, which is a big if, then we've never had access to more bookmakers with more markets to compare against each other for top price. And if you don't want to put the legwork in, then odds comparison services like OddsChecker make life just easy for you. Why, by the way, do bookmakers put adverts up on OddsChecker and plaster full of affiliation, it's another logical fallacy in the swamp of logical inconsistencies that make up online soft bookmakers. The fourth reason why online soft bookmakers have such attractiveness and high ROI is liquidity. So exchanges do struggle with liquidity. The advantage of online soft bookmakers is exactly that. It's not a problem. Where primary markets can be efficient to the point that they are difficult to exploit, secondary markets can be easier and bookmakers set market liabilities based on their own perceived confidence and risk tolerance to each market. And it's very rare that we would experience an issue with liability unless we're somehow smashing that max bet button Liability limits increase from the emergence of the market right up until kickoff when they are at their highest. This is because as a market opens, it is then open to being shaped by sharp and syndicated money. The closing line is hypothesized to be the sharpest line, the closest indicator to what the true or real odds are, which is why a form of restriction in horse racing is to be able to bet only at Starting price at SP, by the way, betting at SP can still be profitable long-term, but we'll come back to that. So if you want the largest limits, bet closer to the start time. Some restricted accounts even have relatively reasonable limits in the last minutes before the start of a match or the start of a horse race, resurrecting otherwise seemingly useless accounts. And the final reason why online softbook makers have a high ROI and are attractive is bias. Bias takes many forms from fave long-shot to popularity bias, and bookmakers are businesses, and to maximize their profits, they will often apply more margin to a side of the bet that will be more favorable to punters. If you were offering 10% markup on a coin flip, so a coin flip is probability 0.5 on both sides, 10% markup, so exact markup, the same markup on both would equal 0.55 on both sides, which is roughly 1.82, right? 8 to 11, however, if you knew that there was an imbalance in selection preference from your customers and the vast majority were going to bet heads then you could offer all the markup all the 10% on heads which would be 1.6 so 0.6 or 1.6667 and none of it on tails so you would offer even money for that 0. 0.5 probability and therefore maximize your profits with the same margin the existence of bias is a really good reason for us to be able to exploit bookmakers for return on investment. So that's why online software bookmakers are attractive. And it's also why they are now becoming really hot on restrictions, hotter than ever before, right? So what is it that we could do to sort of circumnavigate restrictions? Some of these should be obvious. I've got seven ideas written down here. So the first is an easy one. It's the big one. Avoid ARBs, simply. If you bet at higher odds than the lay odds of the exchange, you're profiled as an arbitrage player and you're restricted. So here's a big idea. Don't do it. I mean, how services exist that automate the identification of arbitrage bets is anyone's guess, but you could even have done it by accident. You can come up with a value bet and you work out the fair odds. And if your fair odds are the same as the lay odds then you may just be seeking out arbitrage opportunities. So be aware of what's on the exchange. Personally, I like to kind of only target to liquid markets or markets that aren't even on the exchange for this particular reason, right? Secondly, avoid boosted odds. So this great bet was 6 to 1 and it's now 8 to 1. Well, for starters, the 6 to 1 was definitely bad. The 8 to 1 isn't even necessarily good just because it has a now before. it. But even though some of these boosted, odds are bad blindly taking them doesn't necessarily translate blindly into profits it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't be restricted even though some of them are bad bookmakers have an algorithm that monitors the ratio of boosted odds to normal market odds that you're taking in your betting history and if you fall on the wrong side of the line then you'll be restricted where is the line we don't know but we can avoid it by avoiding the boosted odds thirdly account priming so the account will be monitored most closely on the first few days and first few bets. And for this reason, we can engage in a practice of account priming. The very first bet on an account may be the qualifier for a new account matched bonus. Try not to deposit exactly that amount. If it's bet 10, get 30. Try betting 5 or 20 or 100, just not 10. You'll instantly have separated yourself from those who simply want to target the sign-up bonuses. For the first bet, don't be too sharp. A multiple on random selections with no rhyme or reason may be a pretty good option. You're sacrificing the EV on a few bad bets at the beginning to allow yourself to place a larger amount of sharper bets further down the line. Don't bet the qualifier at low odds and the bonus at high odds. Be careful with that because you're standing out as somebody that knows that the equity of a bet whose stake is not returned increases as the odds increase. I mean, how would you know that unless you were pretty sharp? Fourthly, go big early. Not going big early is a common regret with advantage players. It isn't so much the size of your bets, but the sharpness of them that draws attention. Let's say you take over your friend's Bet365 account and they have a five-year history of placing one-pound bet builders and 25p lucky 15s. How easy would it be for Bet365 to notice a distinctive shift in the pattern of the betting? What could that shift represent, I wonder? Almost always it represents a shift in the skill and sharpness of the better. Recreational player becomes advantage player, starts betting 10 times bigger, and as a result, the bookmaker has an easy profiling job and restrictions soon follow. If you're going to be betting for more than peanuts go big from the beginning or risk accelerating restrictions. This was most evidently seen with the case of that lass in Northern Ireland who went from a recreational 18-year-old student to someone placing £150 lucky 15s, £30,000 worth of wages on weekday um, horse racing and winning a million pounds, which was subsequently not paid to her. Number five, place multiples instead of singles consultancy firm was asked to review a massive bet history on behalf of a bookmaker with the objective of profiling customers, seeing what actions were most likely to be indicative of accounts that were sharp, presumably defined as those that are in long-term profit, and those that are recreational, presumably defined as those in long-term loss. I've said this a number of times before, but the number one indicator of sharp betters over recreational bettors is the placing of singles instead of multiples. Number six, placing same game multiples known as your odds, requester bets, combo bets. Bookmakers carry the assumption that these combo bets have the highest profit margin, and anyone that bets on them they see as being a mug, being recreational, and they're pretty good for not just account health but even rehabilitation, getting larger limits on seemingly restricted accounts. And seven, seventh, better SP. One tactic infrequently used to profit at a bookmaker is betting at starting prices. is because one of two scenarios exist for customers who bet at SP. Firstly, the bet steams, in which case the customer loses out because they got a lower price than had they taken the odds at the time. Because they bet at SP, the bet steamed in, they could have got 10 to 1, it steamed into 5 to 1, they're going to get paid at 5 to 1. Secondly, the bet drifts, in which case the customer is not beating the closing line and the bookmaker can assume that it wasn't a long-term profitable bet at the time of bet placement. Either way, it's a win-win for the bookmaker when customers bet at SP. However, if we bet at SP and we can work out a way of doing it with long-term positive equity bets, then... We play the bookmaker at their own game. I've done this before. I've been part of a team that went around betting shops and would bet at SP on horses that even at SP, when the odds could be lower than the odds that I took at the time, the composition of the race and the particular horse meant that it was going to be a long-term plus EV. So those are seven strategies for maybe delaying restrictions, but look, there is no magic bullet because of this one fact. Simply being in profit in the long run can be enough to be restricted. And that one statement is impossible to escape when the objective is wanting to be in profit, which is why it is so hard to maintain and continually run, and escape restrictions from online softbook makers. Ah! Coming to the end now, really coming to the end of this alpha stage of the player XG. Um, What have we added since the last time? I can't remember what I said the last time, but here's what we've added. We finally sorted out Team News. So we've had the Team News API come through. We have this for um, 10 leagues, including the Dutch era of Adisa, which I wasn't that interested in, but I've asked for it to be put on to the XT because, well, because we've got the Team News coming through, so we might as well. So for every time Team News comes through, we've got to make sure that we can match all the synonyms of all the players and I thought that was going to take a long time but really it hasn't taken that long at all, so if we're looking at it tonight, it's now 2 minutes to 8pm, we had team news for Norwich, Birmingham, Blackpool Blackburn, Blackpool Millwall, Burnley and Swansea Stoke in the championship and there's two Champions League games about to kick off in 90 seconds time Liverpool, Real Madrid and Eintracht Frankfurt, Napoli I'm on Tuta in the Napoli match and in the Liverpool match I'm on Salah and Fabinho to score first, um, all of those 120% or more EV by the bookie bashing first goal scorer calculation. I've done quite well on the bookie bashing first goal scorer calculations. So just to sort of summarize, that's getting like, that's a lot better now that we're getting team news through. So we have the 20 outfield starting players. We don't assign any XG to goalkeepers. Um, and we assume that the outfield players get. of the goals, 9.5% are scored by substitutes, but we're not going to assign any XG to substitutes. Anyone not starting on the bench or not playing gets zero XG. So Let's say Haaland's big value, he's boosted in the morning and then he doesn't play. The team news will tell us that he doesn't play, he'll drop off the trackers after team news, right? So um, the sum of all of the Liverpool players, the 10 outfield players, will equal 90.5% of Liverpool's XG. That field is editable by anyone. You can edit it if you want to. You can call it 99% scored by substitutes, and all the outfield players get zero XG. So we had a look at as many games as we could, get our hands on where there were five substitutes, and for those games, about 9.5% of goals were scored by substitutes. So that's what the default is. Because we were using the markets to come up with AGS, like say... Betfair exchange was telling us AGS. I've spoken to some pretty senior people. I sat down and met with a couple of the guys who do anytime goal scorer prices at Ableton Odds, and they were they hate the the exchange prices. They're like they just they don't like them at all. They don't think they're they're in any way indicative of fair odds, which is very interesting. Um, they much prefer bookmaker price with margin on top. But my hierarchy just now is exchange first then bookmaker and then after but if the betfair back price is higher than the bookmaker price we use that so it's interesting that they hate the exchange maybe i'll move away from the exchange in the future more likely i'll just offer both options so if you i mean i might start using only best bookmaker price but if you want to use exchange you can toggle that over i might make just make a quick note of that i think that is what we're going to do um i'll send that over to it to get done so After we normalize it, so we've taken the AGS as the the sort of market price and then we get XG by reverse pass on from that, right? And from the XG of every player, from Benzema 0.4 XG, I can then do 101 different things from monitoring drifts and steams to coming up with my own first goal scorer, 2 plus, 3 plus, so on. Um, But after we normalize it, we then get a new AGS number. Sometimes it's exactly the same. But if it's different, I can then go onto the exchange and start trading around AGS. Because AGS was the input before, I couldn't do that before. So I've got AGS as a little edge there. FGS, which I use quite a lot. I'm, I am monitoring thousands of players on the exchange who are all 100% or more, 100.1 or more EV. And I'm going to make that data available soonish. It's not the data that's the issue. It's how do I create the UX. I don't just want to dump it into it. Excel spreadsheet. I want to make it, you know, I want to make it in a a really good UX that can be interrogated. I've got numbers for two plus and three plus using in-house probability distributions because I didn't think that, looking back in historical data, they equaled a Poisson probability distribution. Shots and target does. I didn't think goal scorer does. Well, according to my senior trader friends, I may have got that wrong. They think that's just a sample size problem. They think two plus and three plus is direct Poisson. I'm not sure myself. So, just now it's an in house probability distribution. I've gone back to that and I've actually asked someone to collect a larger data set for us to interrogate there. Okay, so we're going to, that's something we're going to hone. Um, uh, and we finally got our heads around the scorecast and anytime scorecast model. I was an idiot. So, I came up with a scorecast model and it seemed to be logically bulletproof. But the problem was it was making everybody plus EV on the exchange, even when there was a back and no lay. Just everybody. And that couldn't be right. The price was just much bigger on the exchange. Guess what I'd done wrong? I was comparing my anytime scorecast numbers to the scorecast on the exchange. So that's anytime scorecast against to to score first and that score. Stupid. So what actually happened was I was kind of right, but there was an easier way of working the the, um, formula out. So um, basically just take the correct score line and work out you from that from that probability of that correct score line the probability that any player scores first or scores in the game based on the team XG and based on that score line it's pretty simple math. So we've got the if next to the standard view we've got scorecast anytime scorecast wincast anytime wincast. What can I see with these numbers? I can see that the layers are having a field day on the exchange. I think when sellers like fair odds of 40.5 or whatever, 20 will be going on the exchange because I think what's happening is people are just turning up to the ground, logging on to Betfair, having a little mug, uh, and they're just taking anything. The, the, no consideration. And the guys that are laying the bets, if you're a fan of value betting at 1.02, um, then. Uh, that's where, <laughs> that's where the value seems to be. Um, maybe not me personally, but there may be people out there that like value betting lays at twenty point zero and higher. So and you know I've seen I've actually seen some value sitting around on some stale lines at Bet three six five and other places in the Scorecast model as well. So the Scorecast's new, the Anytime Scorecast's new, the Wincast's new. The anytime Wincast is new and they're all sitting next to the standard view that you can toggle across on the player XG page this page really comes into its own um, after team news after the normalization that's when we're getting AGS price FGS price two plus three plus that are really powerful that are really like like the XG of the starting 20 has to equal most of the goals that the team are expected to score So if the markets have got that wrong if they don't have as powerful a tool as we do, that um, uh, uh, we get the edge. We're sort of first to the information there. So the player XG tool, what was the other one we updated? All of that's available now in the bet build as well. So you can load up like FGS, win cast, score cast, even a player to score between two and six goals if that's what you want the probability for, and under two goals if that's what you want the probability for. Um player stats was the other one so we had this tool that was called the shots on target tool changing the name of it to player stats it used to just be shots on target but since the early days we've now got rid of the stupid big graph at the top which was really just uh, when we had a couple of games and maybe eight players but now we've got so many players that is an incredible goal by darwin nunes who i have not bet on but he's just backheeled that into the net Yeah, it should have been Salah's goal. Because <laughs> I was on Salah. Um, Nunes, if interested, had 0.38 predicted goals from this game. The anytime goal scorer price that we had was 2.96 he was 8.07 bookie bashing first goal scorer price it was only 7 on the exchange so despite the fact that first goal scorer was 7 on the exchange we didn't make that a value price 2 plus was 16.01 3 plus 114.65 if you're on 100 to 1 3 plus you'd be laughing now because we made his um first goal scorer 8.07 even the exchanges made him 7.00 Betfred DDHH of 92 of 5.5 was never going to be value. And so Betfred have got away with one there, offering 92 on David Nunes or Darwin Nunes. sorry. Anyway, the player stats tool, we were traditionally just doing shots on target. We got rid of the big graph. And we've now got shots on target, shots, assists, cards, tackles, and passes, all using the same kind of methodology to work out the expected... Stats for all of those, and um, they're all available in the Bet Builder if you want to track them live under Bookie Bashing Advanced Stats. So that's just some changes that we had for the Player XG with the team lineups, and the Scorecast model and the player stats. And we are now where we want to be, and I think I'm ready to take the tool out of Alpha, and now we go from development stage to mass data monitoring. So I'm monitoring every single player at the exchange. Oh, I think I just talked last time about the difficulties of exactly what do you monitor at the exchange. And the answer is I'm just going to monitor everything. So I'm monitoring the closing line. I'm monitoring the best EV. I'm monitoring the average EV. You know what I mean? I'm monitoring the mode EV, where it's the EV for the most amount of time. So all of these things are getting monitored. And therefore, you know... If there's any argument that one reporting technique is better than another reporting t- technique, well, all reporting techniques will be available. So now it's just a little bit of... It won't even be that long. I reckon a couple of months before, before the summer, before the end of the season, we're going to open up this data set. We're going to do some analytics on it, and we're going to see where exactly the big value was hiding. Because I promise you this, the one thing about the, the player markets is that for advantage players they're the domain of two different types of people. The only real... Other types of people that have got an edge in this market are those with a bit of inside knowledge. So maybe you get the team news early, maybe you know someone's injured, maybe you've got some binoculars out at the training field and you just happen to know something that everybody else doesn't. Given that the vast majority of us cannot be that guy, the only other people that have the ability to exploit and profit on the goal scorer and player stats markets are those that have access to pretty efficient, decent, fast-moving, live information and that's what we have got our hands on here we are simply disseminating information as efficiently as we can so that we can go to the markets with better with more data than and most other people playing in those markets are other than the guy with the binoculars and the mac up at the back of wast hills watching birmingham city training ground <laughs> betting's been a little bit all over the place um, ever since we had um, what's his chops Max Homer uh, a few weeks ago. I have, have a, I, th- I think I've busted four tournaments in a row, um, and really had one place in six tournaments, which, considering I'm betting ten to fifteen percent of the field, is a thing. Um, so you know, let's just look at the last four. I think I've busted the. Pebble Beach Pro Am, Singapore Classic, Phoenix Open, and the Genesis Invitational. Now, betting 10 to 15% of the field, I'm roughly even money to get a place in any tournament. Roughly, uh, give or take. You know, it could be slightly odds on, it could be slightly odds against, but it's it's in the region of even money on average. So four in a row would be two for 16. I mean, sixteen to one, fifteen to one. Not that un unlikely. It it should happen, but. Um that means I'm definitely gonna get something this weekend on what have we got coming up? The Hero Indian Open, the Golf Invitational, Mayakoba, The Live and the Honda Classic. Rory stung a little bit in the Genesis Invitational. Um very rare very rarely get on Rory, and I think the last time I was on him, he won at ten to one. I was at a music festival and I was with a music festival with some of the people in the same team that were on him. So for him to win on the Sunday when we were there, that was great. Right? That's the best that's the best of gambling when something like that happens. But he was fifteen to two at Skybet. Now what we've done what we've done is we have put some enhancements into the golf tracker because a bunch of places do alternative each way markets now such as sky bet. So a sky bet in the honda classic right now the standard odds are uh, sorry the standard each way winner market is eight places one to five but you can also bet ten places one to five and twelve places one to five um, at bet three six five it gets even more confusing Let's just open up the Honda Classic at Bet365. Golf, Honda Classic, each way extra. So the main one, the outright, is five places one to four. Um, each way extra, you can get odds of Sung JM at three places one to five, eight places one to five, seven places one to ten, nine places sorry twelve places one to nine so it's really confusing um so there's 150 golfers in that field but they've all got five sets of odds so there are 750 set different odds to work out just at bet365 what are betfred doing let's go to the honda classic at betfred um i never it's the navigation at betfred is almost unnecessarily complicated golf honda classic the main outright which we always looked at five places one to four and then they've got um, ten places one to eight eight places one to five six places one to five I mean it's a minefield so they've got four markets there uh, boils do the same thing other place so what we've done we have brought all of these alternative win markets in it's actually uncovered loads of value it's it's actually it's it's mad to see how some players can be plus ev at one sort of market at a bookmaker negative ev in another market so previously somebody might have been negative ev on the outright market at betfred but now we are uncovering them as good in one of the alternative markets it's just highlighting loads more value than previously which can't be a bad thing like um like matty schmidt at 200 to one he's not even plus ev on the normal market five places one to four uh, at bet365 but head over to the each way extra and he's 133 percent at 200 to one at 10 places one to seven and he's 132 percent at 12 places one to nine same odds 200 to one so um it's sort of crazy You, you tend to find a lot of value where there are big jumps in the intervals of odds um just by the nature of how the jumps work so yeah if you go on to um onto the tracker now you may see and you have a bet 365 or a sky bet or a bet fred you'll see multiple versions of all of um um of players at those books and it's a really really cool enhancement not that that's helped um um, the profits in recent weeks, generally his favourites win and popular players win. Bookmakers lose out and advantage players lose out. It's a rough rule of thumb. So that's why it was weird to see Rory McElroy plus EV. But he was plus EV in this alternative each way market at Skybet. 12 places, 1-5 to 5 odds at 15-2. to 2. Um, The thing is, I think I'd read at the Genesis Invitational, he'd been, don't quote me on this because it was somebody... Commentating whilst I was watching, but he'd been like top ten, something like five out of six years or four out of six years there. So we're getting one to five odds on fifteen to two. So you're getting, you know, over evens, two point four ish, um, on him coming in the top twelve, and he really loved that course. So he looked like a, a good bet, but just under him, was John Rahm. And so at 15 to 2, because that's already like nearly 12% of the field, there's not much scope for anyone else when you're covering 10 to 15%. So it was Rory or Rom. I don't really like taking both. That's just not the way I I enjoy betting. I don't like to bet 25% of the field, right? So Rory was just marginally better in terms of EV than Rom, so went for Rory. Rom absolutely smashed it, didn't he? (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those things another day we'll go for the winner and you forget about those days don't you yeah so i'm not going to focus on that too much but yeah it's just an interesting sort of four tournaments in a row busting but lots of lots more bets coming on this weekend with three tournaments oh what happened in the in the genesis was it the genesis where on the second round, Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas were on the ninth hole. And Justin Thomas drove it fairly short into the bunker. And as they were walking up the fairway, Tiger Woods passed Rory McElroy a tampon. And I thought it was mildly funny. It's not hysterical, but okay. It's just kind of like Bantsville isn't it? But what was kind of strange that I didn't expect was it kind of blew up, like a lot of people got upset about it, Um, and I didn't see that coming, because offence is one of those things that you can choose to be offended. What is it that... um, What is it that... I like what Ricky Gervais says about offence. Let me dig it out.
1: But it it really is that case of people come up and they say, I was offended by that joke. uh, uh, My first reaction is I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right, well, that doesn't mean anything. You're you're telling me how you feel. What what I want to say? Why? why and, and I'll explain to them. I'm willing to explain to them why the joke isn't offensive. I I I'm not one of those people that think I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to be as offensive and then go fuck you as a joke. I actually I'm willing to explain why it's not offensive. That often offence comes when people mistake the subject of a joke with the actual target and they're not necessarily the same particularly if you deal in taboo subjects which I do Mm -hmm. because I want to go there because I want to take the audience by the hand and take them through a scary forest Do you right. know what i mean i like sure. i like the discomfort of of expressing and talking about really uncomfortable things because that that's that's what most people worry about most if you're in a, a safe world where your firstborn isn't dying of dysentery and you're not being shot at the worst thing that happens is something embarrassing happens to you or you say a stupid thing or bad service so that's why i deal with those things because everyone understands it
0: um I think Rick Shields did a the golf social media guy did a poll of it like if you think it was funny 286 people liked liked that um and like if you think it was stupid offensive nine people liked that so 286 funny nine um not funny I mean it wasn't hilarious um it's is the kind of thing I cu- the the lads and m- m- would do on the golf course but then i guess the context of the fact that it is tiger woods so he is an ambassador of the game and the fact that it is on television even though it's a pri- they say it was a private joke between friends but of course everything's going to be picked up between the two of them um iona stevens said um she tweeted a joke about being less at the expense of women isn't a joke to me right So, the thing is, I'm on the side of the fence with, well, women statistically cannot drive as far as men. And so, Tiger saying to Justin, you didn't drive it very far, therefore you're a woman, sort of makes sense as a joke, even if it's not the funniest joke in the entire world. So, I, but I respect Iona, Stephen, I could, I'm there's no right and wrong here i'm not right she's not wrong i don't think she's right and i'm wrong i just think i have an opinion i i think it was fine if not not hilarious um and it's right that women can't drive as far as men and so in the same way women could joke about men although i couldn't think think of a specific example but if a woman was saying to another woman, oh, you're a man because you did this certain thing and then plastered maybe a moustache over the top lip. Sort of the same thing, and you would encourage it and not take offence um, as a man. But then I asked my wife, and then I asked all my female friends, and pretty much all of them, as well, along with not finding it funny, think it was offensive and unnecessary. So more than anything, I think I'm just surprised by the reaction and that everyone doesn't just agree that you can laugh at anything um, but yeah any which way if, if Tiger wants to continue playing in events um, that's fine by me because he's always um, I think he's always a shorter price than he should be with his leg because he's so popular with bettors that bookmakers take a large liability on him and therefore, they have to offer rubbish odds, even though I don't think he, he's going to compete. I mean, he plays the par threes so well, but he just by the, by the fatigue takes over, if you know what I mean. So he because he's always a bad price, that means he's shorter than he should be, and that means by proxy, there's other players who get a little bit lengthened because of the presence of Tiger. Um, what is he for the Masters? I mean. If he's anything under 100 to 1, even 100 to 1, you can't see being a reasonable price for Tiger for the Masters. Um, But I bet you he's something like, I bet you, I'm going to guess before I look that he is 55. So um, Tiger Woods. (laughs) I promise you I didn't look. I promise you I didn't look. God, I should just set the markets. Last price matched 55, back 50, lay 60. There you go. Well, he's not. I mean, that's the same odds as Shane Lowry, Victor Hovland, um, Brooks, Hideki Matsuyama. Tiger's, Tiger is the same. Tiger's favourite over Sam Burns, Patrick Reed, Shokin Neiman, Justin Rose is playing well again. I mean, he's not statistically uh, got a better chance than those players. He's fifty-five because he is a um, he's a recreational crowd favourite. But I mean, he nearly lost his leg in an accident a year ago so yeah there you go tiger wasn't that funny even if it wasn't offensive it wasn't that funny <laughs> super bowl sunday uh, a couple of sundays ago um and this headline reads bettors unable to claim their prize after super bowl with william hill sportsbook what happened here the sportsbook system shut down before halftime during the super bowl and the nevada gaming control board is investigating this is the american facing william hill app um one better, Mary Love, spent most of her Monday morning headed back to the Silver Nugget Casino where she placed her Super Bowl bet Sunday on the Kansas City Chiefs. After arriving to claim her winning at a William Hill sportsbook, her day took a turn. They said the system was down. It wasn't just the online system, but all of their sportsbooks went down as well, like their um, in-casino in Nevada sportsbook locations because of this technical issue. How funny is that? It's always funny when something bad happens to william hill um william hill released a statement saying they are deeply sorry for the frustration and inconvenience caused they say it was a technical issue but didn't specify exactly what happened of course they didn't and by the way wouldn't it be good if sometimes people just turn around and went, you know what we had a um a false integer accidentally in the database that caused it to crash and we couldn't get it back online and there was a you know th- I think that kind of communication really helps. But for some reason, a lot of these big companies, like Smarkets were very good at that. When they went down, Jason Tross took to um, Twitter and said exactly what happened and apologized. And of course, things go wrong. Um, um, when things go right, nobody notices or says anything. And then when things go wrong, um, people complain. So a little bit like when we were working in the M25, when we do our job right, no one says anything. But when we do it wrong, bloody hell do we hear about it. Um, uh, So the people were tweeting pictures of empty sports books in Las Vegas. Um, uh, People were unable to pick up their money for like 72 hours after the event. Um, KTNV, which is this um, media website that I'm reading based in Nevada, reached out to a William Hill representative to ask about the system wide outage. However, at this time, they have not Responded. Of course they haven't. Um, many, like Love, are still left with no answers. Hundreds are taking to social media to express their frustrations about the system crash and demanding the sports books show them the money. I mean, that is what betting is. When you bet, you get paid. Love said she's been betting for more than 30 years. This had never happened before. She's shocked that a system would short-circuit on the biggest sports betting day of the year. Um, that would have, you would have thought cost william hill a pretty penny they did tweet afterwards um towards the end of the second quarter of super bowl 52 um our william hill nevada sports betting platform experienced sorry 57 lv11 one, one. i can get my numerals right We're, uh, our william hill nevada sports betting platform experienced and on have there only been 57 super bowls LV11 one one is 7, isn't it? LV11 one one in numbers. <laughs> yeah, it is 57, but there've been more than f- the Super Bowl's been going on longer than the, the 60s, hasn't it? I don't know why there's only been 57 Super Bowls. Uh, anyway, that's a rabbit hole I didn't need to go down. Uh, our William Hill Nevada sports betting platform experienced an unforeseen technical issue that took our Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill and William Hill Nevada apps and our retail sports books offline. The team has been aggressively working to bring the platform back to full functionality as quickly as possible. We have pinpointed the cause of the system failure and we are now working through the resolution with all our available resources. We sincerely apologize for the frustration and inconvenience caused to our valued customers. Our retail sportsbooks are currently back up and running, meaning go and get your winnings if you've uh, placed a bet and you you hadn't picked it up. And, um, um... we are focused on resolving and restoring our Caesar Sportsbook by William Hill. And it's just full of people saying, um, I was in Vegas but returned on Monday to Texas before leaving. I had an online chat session with William Hill and asked how to get the money out. She said, once the system was restored, I could do it, but I'm out of state now. She said, I could just mail and request it if I have a paper ticket. Someone says, for whatever reason, I don't think William Hill want to admit they were hacked. Someone tweets an empty sportsbook video, which is just hilarious. Um, are they going to replay the Super Bowl from the time the app went down so I can mitigate my bets I mean here's the thing what was the Super Bowl it was the Eagles 35 um, Kansas City Chiefs 38 I mean the first quarter was 7-7 the second quarter was 17-7 third quarter was 7-3 and the fourth quarter was 17-8 you had three touchdowns from Jalen Hurts I think he got a hat trick heaven you had one touchdown from AJ Brown you had um, Hertz throwing for over three hundred yards. You had Matomes, uh, yeah. You had Matomes um, with three touchdowns. You had P- Paccio with a rushing touchdown. Kelsey, Tony, more, and so all these fan favorites scoring and over seventy two point five points lands in the match. So you've got to think with all the overs hitting and all the popular. Uh, players scoring that William Hill really got out of jail there. I was on a few bets on the exchange. So how how I came up with value on the exchange was relatively easy. Um I just went over to Pinnacle uh, and they had um player to score and player not to score and they had a very little juice over at Pinnacle. I think it was like three and a half to four percent on a lot of these yes and no. So because you've got the yes and the no I was just um, applying the margin. Um, I was applying it with fave long shot bias, i.e., no margin around about evens, uh, margin to the longer odds up at about 3 to 1, 4 to 1. And um, I made um, Hertz to score a touchdown. I, I made him about, well, given the pinnacle lines, about 1.9, and he was um, 2.14 on the exchange. He scored 3. Um, I made. Miles Sanders value, but he didn't score. I made um, Paccio big value, and he did score. Um, so did okay, really, with the, um, NFL, with the NFL touchdown scorers, just basically having a look, just com- you know, comparing the exchange against um, Pinnacle. I'm fairly convinced that the exchange is uh, held up for whatever reason, and it's not that efficient, even on any time touchdown scorer in big events like Super Bowl. And even an anytime goal scorer, the more I look at it, the more I'm convinced it's exploitable and profitable and things like football. But yeah, William Hill app goes down. Did it cost them millions? I think it might just have saved them millions. <laughs> a uh, multi-year absence from the WSOP due to COVID and children being born and various other life reasons I keep meaning to go back um, it's now at the it's moved from the Rio it's the last time I went I played the main event in the Rio I min-cashed with just a handful of chips when the bubble burst late at night at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning always great fun when the bubble bursts in the main event of the World Series of Poker. Seriously, it is pretty electric. Everyone's stalling for the life. And, like, so the beers are going down at every... That's what happens, right? It really grinds to a halt. Like, let's say 1,050 are paid. So, like, you're watching the number of people get knocked out on the um, screens that are on the wall in um, any of the rooms. I think there's probably three or four big function rooms open um, when you're that late into the tournament. And... um, they have the television screens that tell you what level you're on the blinds the anties what levels coming up how long to the next break and then how many contestants are in so you're sort of watching it by the time it's down to about i reckon 1500 you're thinking well i could cash here we just need to lose a third of the field and i'm i'm going to cash and a lot of people have this in the main event and so they start they really tighten up and so the number of And stalling starts. And so whilst it quickly gets to 1,500, it slowly gets to 1,400, even slower to 1,300. It takes it forever to get to 1,200. And then you seem to never get to 1,100. Um, And then the last 50 people, it's just like every single person, no matter if they're folding, they've got one chip. It's like they just sit staring at their cards for seven minutes. And it goes hand to hand. So when when, when you play a hand, you stop. Uh, The dealer doesn't deal any more cards until every other table has finished their hand. So you go as slowly as the slowest table, and the slowest table's going to be slow. So the beers start going, and you think, you know, you kind of think, oh, it's going to be like an hour, and it's three hours. So you you always time the beers wrong. It's the middle of the night, and then the bubble bursts, and it's hugely exciting. So that was the last time I was there. And then I've had a few years off, as I say. My son was born. I didn't want to go because he was born in... um, August in the summer, so I didn't want to leave my pregnant wife and miss him being born. And um then there was COVID, and I keep meaning to go back, and I haven't been for years. So they've just announced the schedule. So I was having a look at this. The schedule, the first event is always the dumbest event in the entire world. May the 30th. The casino, the $500 casino employees, no limit tournament. Why do they have that first every single year? It's like, I. Have a casino employees tournament, by all means, although you get some pretty random people who, like, professionals who play, who, who like, become a dealer one time just to enter it. But why have it first? Why not have a prestigious event first? Why not have the high roller first? There's a six-handed $25,000 high roller. Um, There's an event that you you only join if you have the most amount of confidence in your game there's a $1000 mystery millions which is fun i've never played that before but i would be interested in that that's um you play the event $1000 to buy in and then if you knock someone out you then go to the table at the front of the room and you get um you get a bounty for knocking somebody out and you flip a card over to see what the bounty is and um i'm not sure what most of the prizes are I'm guessing there are a few hundred quid but one of the prizes is like is a million dollars so $300 from each buy-in which the $1000 will go towards the bounty pool players will draw a random bounty prize for every player they eliminate top bounty prize is a guaranteed $1 million how's that matt glance won it last year of all the luck imagine winning a million dollars just by flipping a card that's quite, how exciting is that i've never played that event I mean, the winner last year, Quincy Borland, only won $750,000. Matt Glantz won a million. He, didn't, I don't even know if he cashed. But um, how much fun is that? Like, as soon as you've knocked someone out, that's quite exciting that you then go and flip a card over for a million dollars. Isn't it? $1,500 dealer's choice, six-handed. I would quite fancy. I wouldn't mind that one. Um, $333 online event. That's ridiculous. That's too low. That's just stupid. $25,000 heads up, no limit. No thank you. <laughs> Again, pick your battles. Jesus Christ. $10,000 dealer's choice, 600 championship. I think I would avoid that one simply because I think that would be just full of professionals, of really, really good players. It's more expensive these days to enter this, but then the payouts are better as well, isn't it? You know? I remember what... I won... I won $10,000 in an online poker game in, in a tournament in 2005 or something like that. And I remember withdrawing that, and that was £5,000. So if I won $10,000 these days, that's £10,000. I should have just left it. It was in Ladbrokes Poker. I should have just left it in my Ladbrokes Poker account for 15 years, but who would have known? Um, then we get into June. 1,500 Omaha high, low, eight or better is definitely one I would have my eye on all oh, depends how long you want to spend in Vegas They've got a Badugi event this year $1500 Badugi event That's mad I don't think they've done Badugi before You've got to love your Badugi to play that $1000 Pot Limit Omaha Eight handed, I'd play that I'd be in there $10,000 Limit Hold'em Championship Don't think so, again Limit Hold'em I like Limit Hold'em but the guys that play Limit Hold'em are better than the guys that play No Limit Hold'em, if that makes sense. $50,000 high roller, No Limit Hold'em, slightly out of my buying range. $1,500 Raz. $10,000 Omaha High Low 8 or Better Championship. That's one of the higher ones I'd be tempted by. Because I, I think, I don't know why a lot of mixed game players think that Omaha High Low 8 or Better is their best game, and I'm in that camp. I think it's my best game. Fifteen hundred dollar eight game mix, six handed. I think I played the twenty five hundred dollar eight game mix six handed in the pack. I think that was the version of it, and I was sat next to of all people, Stephen Bloody Chidwick. Uh, hundred thousand dollar high roller, no limit hold 'em, yeah. That's pretty much not in my buy in range. That's on June the twelfth. Some Raz, some Omaha. There's a nine game. What's a nine game? What do they add to 8 game to get 9 game? I don't actually know. Let me just open that up. Um, no Limit Hold'em, 7 card stud, Omaha, High Low, 8 or better. Raz, Pot Limit, Omaha, these are all normal. Limit Hold'em, No Limit, 2-7, triple draw. 7 card stud, what's the one? Oh, they, they added No Limit, 2-7, low ball. That's a, that's, a, that's a swingy game, No Limit, 2-7. It really is. I wouldn't know if I'd be comfortable playing that. I mean, really good players put you in some really difficult positions in No Limit Do Seven. They really do. I think that's a problem. Fifteen hundred big O. Yeah, I'd be in that. So fifty thousand dollar Poker Players Championship. No, thank you. Uh, Where's the fifteen hundred horse? I'd play that on June twentieth. Now I have to be here for about four weeks because I'm playing games <laughs> from the beginning of June through to late June. I love horse though. I would really enjoy that. Ten thousand dollar horse championship. The problem with it is I th- I'd play it, but I think that's another one where I am on the bottom percentile of the skill set in that championship. I don't know. Maybe i would get a few wrecks. And when's the main event? Like the Super Seniors. How many years am I away from Super Seniors? Uh, you must be at least 60 years of age. So I've got 15 more years before I play the Super Seniors event. The super Seniors. Is there a Seniors that's younger than 50 then? I don't know can't um, see one tag team event that'd be fun. Do the tag team event. Does anyone want to go and do the tag team event with me? Thousand dollars. So we chip up five hundred dollars each. Um, I don't know if we can just get up and like. Do you have to like? What's the rule in the tag team event? Do you have, does one of you have to play a minimum number of hands, or can one? Can I like get Phil Ivy to play one hand, or I play one hand and Phil Ivy just plays the rest? That would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? I don't know. Um, Where is the tag team event? No, I scrolled past it and then I lost it because I wanted to have a look at that. Shall we go and play the tag team? It's on Thursday, June the 22nd. Each teammate... Teammates must play at least one round of blinds at some point in the tournament or the team will be disqualified. There you go. I'll play one round of blinds and then Phil Ivy can play the rest of the tournament for me and we'll we'll go home happy, won't we? Um, Ladies, no limit. Championship, $1,000. I presume they've got a $10,000 version of that. You'd think. $50,000 Pot Limit Omaha. No, thank you. Crikey. $10,000 Pot Limit Omaha. High, low, eight or better. Oh, so it's that not Limit Omaha, but Pot Limit Omaha. Okay, and then the the main event's on July the 4th as normal. Um, Running through to the final table, presumably in mid-July. Oh, July the 15th, $3,000 horse. So, yeah, I was looking through this. and doing what I do normally every year which is just writing down all the events that interest me and trying to figure out what date range i would be able to go at um one of the things i enjoyed a lot last summer was taking the whole summer off with the kids holidays and it looks like the kids holidays unless i make the final table will start just after the world Series of poker ends. so that's reasonable enough timing. So I was writing down the thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, three thousand dollars and ten thousand dollar events that I would like to go and play, just trying to figure out when the window was. But something was sort of eating away in the back of my mind whilst I was doing this. It didn't feel right. A couple of weeks ago, me and my daughter were um looking at the BBC News website after the earthquake. And it was awful. It was really bad. And there was a video of a seven-year-old girl who was dug out of the rubble alive with her alive four-year-old brother. And my kids are seven and four, so it was really hitting home. And my daughter wanted to do something. She wanted to do something to help. And we were coming up with ideas, like, do we do a sponsored swim or a sponsored walk? But I didn't want to ask people for money because i've done a ukraine charity event in the last year so i've already asked people for money and there's a real bad cost of living crisis going on people are worried about electricity bills and mortgages and the price of orange juice down in morrison's so um the whole thing wasn't adding up to me um the 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 sponsorship wasn't working just donating myself wasn't going to work because there's billions of pounds worth of damage and sitting down, just writing a list of these $1,000, $1,500, $10,000 events, if you like, the puzzle wasn't making sense for me at this time. And I think I realized what it was. It was I'm still feeling pretty bad about the earthquake and not really doing anything for it. And at the same time, just gambling, gambling loads of money that. Could probably I could probably go over there and bust all of these events. That's the nature of tournament poker. You can play well and get unlucky and bust them. Or I could play badly and get unlucky and bust them. But I could easily go over there with this money and come back with none. And it, it just wasn't right for me. And so talked it through with Jen and really came up with a plan and tried to work out if it was feasible. And, and as it turns out, it is. So... Tomorrow, instead of taking this money and um, spending it on poker, I'm going to fly out to Beirut tomorrow, and then on the weekend, travel from Beirut to Syria, and I'm going to go across the border, um, which is about t- three-hour drive, including a bit of faffing in the border, maybe four hours, and then from Damascus, go north up to where the um, earthquake area was and basically just solve the logistic problems of traveling there. So that's done now. I've I've solved those problems and see what I find. See if there's someone I can help, see if there's something I can help, see if there's somewhere I can help. Just have a look at it with my own eyes. Um, And I think in these times that sits with me a lot easier than traveling over to the paris in las vegas paris is great by the way it's one of my more favorite strip hotels if you ever go to vegas do the the paris is it's opposite the Bellagio. and it's a good it's a, it's a fun hotel but um yeah instead of spending all of that money there i thought i could go and see if it was better served with people that have gone through a really pretty tough time um so yeah that's my plan instead so this segment was all on the wsop but the conclusion I came to at the end of it, is I haven't been for a few years, and this year is probably another year where I'm not doing it, but I am going to go on an alternative trip, and um, when I come back, I will uh, document the journey, the trip, exactly what I found. It does mean I'm going to miss the Newcastle, Manchester United, Carabao league cup final the league cup the greatest football competition in the world and my bloody brother and sister have got tickets to Wembley the assholes so I don't even know I think I might like set that to record and then when I get back this is this is exactly what I'm going to do I'm going to do this now as the bashcast cast ends I'm going to go downstairs I'm going to load Sky up and I'm going to record um The Carabao Cup final and then I'm going to put my family's WhatsApp group on silent for an entire week so that I get a news blackout and do not know the Newcastle score um, until I get back that's exactly what they'll want when I'm out when I'm out over in the Middle East isn't it okay well whatever you're doing in the next week don't tell me the Newcastle Manchester United score although I'll tell you now some maximums getting a hat trick Um, Whatever you're betting on that match, make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. I will see you on the flippity flopping.